Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com slash marquee. So I was hoping you can tell me how this story starts. Well, it started in February 2015, where I was listening to NPR. All things considered, we've been following the story of Greg O'Brien. And I heard Greg O'Brien early onset Alzheimer's disease talking about how he uses running to cope with his early onset Alzheimer's. Running to me um, is essential, and I do it at the end of the day um, when something called sundowning takes um, over. And what were you doing? Do you remember? I was probably cleaning. <laughs> and I was sort of half listening, and then I realized what was going on. It was this guy who was talking about Alzheimer's, which is normally something I don't like to listen to. I don't usually like to listen to people's personal stories about Alzheimer's. But um, at the time, I was a bit of a captive audience. I was far away from my phone. I couldn't turn it off. And then he mentioned, you know, he was talking about how he uses running to, to cope with it. And that was important because you are? I am an editor here at Runner's World magazine. This is Christine Fennessy, my editor, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's your job to come up with good stories, to, like, look at other publications and listen to the radio and find something that you think would be interesting for Runner's World. That's right, yeah. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, man, <laughs> okay, I guess I should look into this. <laughs> I um, Reluctantly. Yes, reluctantly. So I, I went, you know, I, I Googled and realized that NPR had been doing a series with him, and um, <clears throat> so I listened to the other stuff. I read the other stuff about him, realized he had written a book. I thought about it a little bit more, and I thought he could write a pretty powerful essay for Runner's World. And then I had to think about emailing him. <laughs> and that was harder than I you would think. So I, as I was writing the email, I was thinking... Um, how do you, I've never, I've never spoken to anyone with early onset Alzheimer's and... All right. Hello, Greg. I've been listening to your stories on NPR, and I'm writing because of what you've said about running and how you're using it to do battle with Alzheimer's. I've never, um, on purpose, uh, talked with anyone with Alzheimer's. I mean, there's a lot of Alzheimer's in my family, and I've somehow avoided all of those people. I am terrified of this disease. My uncle had it, my aunt had it, my cousin had early onset, and my dad and all his siblings have been part of this observation early medication program. Every day I fear it's coming after me too. 
I respect how you've chosen. So as I was writing the email, I was thinking, um, he works with NPR. He's still, um, you know, doing okay. So, so just write a damn email. <laughs> so, so as I'm writing the email and asking him if he would be interested, I sort of briefly explained that I was actually terrified of this disease. And thank you for your time. So you said that right off the bat. Yeah. Christine Fennessy. And he responded within the hour. Wow. Rachel here. I talked to Christine in the studio about Greg and his Alzheimer's because as journalists, the relationship between the people we edit or write about typically only lasts as long as it takes us to produce the story. And then it's over. But the more Christine learned about Greg's story, the more she, as a person with Alzheimer's in her family, the more she was drawn in. I'm Rachel Swaby, and this is Human Race. Each week on Human Race, we tell a story about runners and the world of running. This week on the show, a story about how running can help people cope with Alzheimer's, as patients, as caregivers, as children worried about their own decline. Alzheimer's has a tendency to alienate us from our loved ones, and it robs us of our physical, mental, and emotional selves. To tell this story, Greg's story, and her own story, our producer Christine had to face her biggest fears about the disease. Greg O'Brien is the voice Christine heard on the radio. He's a career journalist, the kind that takes notable magazine covers like The New Yorker's 9-11 cover or the Saturday Evening Post's cover with JFK in memoriam. He takes those covers and he frames them and hangs them on his office wall. He's also a lifelong runner. He's married, has three children who are now all adults. He's a longtime resident of Cape Cod. But at age 59, Greg was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's. And then all of the elements that make up a normal, successful life and career, they begin to change. Greg is in his mid-60s now. He puts oversized labels on all of his toiletries so he doesn't mix up the mouthwash with the rubbing alcohol, which has happened and is unpleasant. He CCs himself on every email he sends, so he has a visible record of all his correspondence. And he wrestles with bouts of frustration and rage. Because of his Alzheimer's, Greg's work has also shifted focus. He went from telling other people's stories to telling his own. Recently, Greg has been spreading the word about the disease, his slow and infuriating decline, and how he copes with it. He wrote a book called On Pluto about his experience with Alzheimer's. He goes on the radio. Greg wrote a moving essay for Runner's World. You can find that link, by the way, in our show notes. Christine, on the other hand... It was just easier for me to stick my head in the sand. That's been my philosophy since day one. (laughs) Greg and Christine started working on his story for the magazine. Around this time, Christine's burying her head in the sand. Well, it stopped being an effective coping strategy. Before I called him, um, things were getting kind of so severe in, in with my mom that it, I every time I went and visited her and I would come back home, it amplified it, it amplified everything I forgot. Um, anytime I couldn't remember anything, like I just I, I was legitimately obsessing. <laughs> Every day that I that I'll get early onset. I mean, I'm I'm 39. It 
it, you know, my my cousin who got it, she was in her early 40s. Um, and it's a possibility, right? And so you don't know, you don't, when you have so much of that in your family and it's so prevalent to the point where your, your dad's side is in a study, um, you could you could be one of those people. So it just became hard for me uh, on a daily basis to put it out of my head for any length of time. This constant fear of inevitable mental decline was exacerbated every time Christine went home to Auburn, New York to visit her mother. And then I would come back into my life and, and all of a sudden I just felt like there's all these cues and clues about uh, the fact that I'm losing my mind. <laughs> and so... Greg... He let her know. If you want to talk about your family's history, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk with you and about your own personal fears. And, and we did. Like, I talked to him, I think, a couple days later on the phone. We talked for a long time. I've never had that type of conversation with a source before. On the phone with Greg, Christine shared more about her family history with Alzheimer's. There's a lot of it. Um, there's a lot of it on my father's side. Um, my dad is one of 11, so... Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> so um, his brother had it. I, I believe one of his sisters had it. Um, he had a cousin who had early-onset Alzheimer's, and uh, all these people since passed away from it. And he's now um, 80 on July 4th. So far, so good. Wow. Um, uh, but my mom is a different story. So <laughs> I guess I'll tell that story, too. <laughs> So my mother is also 80, and a few years ago, she started to show signs of um, cognitive decline, I guess is the proper term. And but, what were those, like, what, what kind of signs? Well, I think I think it, it, at first it was just kind of things that would irritate you. You, you were like, I, I just told you that, you know, or she'd, she'd make odd um uh, suggestions about things, and you kind of would look at her like, what made you think of that? My mother's very smart. She is, she's, uh, you know, very, very smart woman, very together. I don't think it was that clear to a lot of us what was going on. It was just like, oh, she's just getting flighty for some reason. My dad had a shoulder replacement surgery a few, a few years ago and that the stress of that seems to like push my mother off a cliff and after that she really sort of declined pretty quickly in terms of she had a, a hard time making the bed she would put her own clothes on and her clothes would be backwards or inside out and, and she's since really, uh, she can't follow movies anymore um, or TV shows. Like, the only TV shows that they watch together are, you know, like, like, uh, <laughs> um, uh, hell. There's an extra added layer of pressure. Yes, there is. Um, well, they have to just watch, like, really short, funny sitcoms. Um, she's uh, got what's called left neglect. So basically, she can't see anything on her left side. This left neglect is part of what's called posterior cortical atrophy. Among other things, it affects visual processing. So tasks like reading, the ability to see more than one object at a time, or using common tools. Researchers are not sure if it's a variant of Alzheimer's or some other disease that affects the brain. But it often resembles Alzheimer's. 
Her, her body in space um, is kind of a mystery. Like, I watched her last time I was home try to go up the wrong side of the stairs on, from the back porch. So, like, she had her hand on the railing, but instead of going to the right of the railing, she was trying to go up the stairs to the left. There was no stairs there. So she can walk, you know, but, like, she she can't cook. She can't make coffee, and no one drinks coffee like my mother drinks coffee. So, <laughs> so the thing that she can still do well is sit and talk like that's yes she will repeat herself but if you kind of get her rolling and I try to just sit and talk to her about like her life and growing up and stuff um she can she can do good there (laughs) yeah which is good because that was one thing she was always really good at too it was visiting she liked to visit she liked it when we had company because then we could visit (laughs) she can still visit In other words, Christine has a Russian nesting doll of Alzheimer's fears. She has a history of Alzheimer's and dementia on both sides of her family. But most of those illnesses were outside of her frame of view. They involved relatives who she only saw at Christmas. But then, closer to home, her mother. When people are like their mothers, they often say, well, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Christine likes to say in her case, the apple never fell off. So she also wonders, of all the traits she's inherited, if she'll inherit her family's dementia as well. Greg's family also has a history of Alzheimer's. He also watched his mom go through it. He had relatives that died from it, too. He could relate to Christine as a grieving son. But talking to Greg also had other benefits. Greg has absolutely had to modify his life to deal with the disease. But Greg is not nearly as far along in the disease as Christine's mom is, which means that she had the ability to talk to someone about the disease before they were too far gone to discuss it. The man on the radio was now speaking directly to her over the phone. And so talking to Greg sort of, it sort of eased that a little bit and it sort of just quieted down that noise a little bit. A year goes by, and then this April... Christine and a few other people from Runner's World, myself included, we go to Boston for the Boston Marathon. Greg lives in Brewster, Massachusetts. Greg had offered several times to have Christine over to his house so she could meet him and his family in person. And over a year after they first got in touch, she decided to drive from Boston to Cape Cod and take him up on his offer. What Christine found during her trip to visit Greg, it was a surprise to even her. about half an hour out or so. Christine drives to Cape Cod by herself to meet Greg and to face the story of Alzheimer's that she's been avoiding. This is a little hard. (laughs) She turns on her recorder in the car on the way there. I'm not sure why sometimes. Um, Boy, I hope this goes away before I get there. Um... I'm going down here to, in a lot of ways, um, face what 
has been a reality in my family and Greg has been really the only other person that I've sort of allowed myself to think about um, between Greg and my mom I'm sort of being forced to face what's true and seeing how they cope and especially with Greg how he is doing his best to provide people like me uh, a, a road map of sorts so there are obvious parallels between Greg's story, he's in early onset Alzheimer's, and your mom has a different kind of dementia. You still call your mom, you still see your mom. Like, what about interacting with Greg made you nervous? I felt like it would be a glimpse into the future, um, both for my mom and for me and my siblings, perhaps. You know, in my head, there's nothing worse than Alzheimer's, so I didn't know I didn't know what it would be like, and I think I was just not sure how I should interact with him. And, you know, yeah, I just didn't know what to expect. Okay. I'm here. Hi, Greg. How you doing? Good. Yeah, come how on are in. you? Come on in. So nice to meet you. Oh, yeah. My, my nephew's here. Oh, great. And, uh, so Christine gets to Brewster, Massachusetts, the town in Cape Cod where Greg lives. Very peaceful. It must I never saw the ocean when I was there. I was on the Cape, but... Um, I could hear the seagulls, and I knew the ocean wasn't far away. I think it was less than a mile. <laughs> I think his Jeep spare tire cover says "Life is good," and I thought, I thought that was, I, I liked that. <laughs> that was like one of the first things I saw. Then this is another room in here that I have. I just, I just turned. It, it will warm up real quick. Wow, this is great. How many years have you been here? Thirty-four. Christine is ready to settle down for an interview at his house, but this is Cape Cod. Greg recommends instead that they walk five minutes to somewhere more scenic. So we basically walked down his driveway and and walked over to uh, it's it's basically like a river that's been stepped almost. But the fish weren't there that day. <laughs> the fish were not there that day. Although you wouldn't guess it by the number of birds, I think they were equally as disappointed. They were everywhere. That was so noisy. Going down to the ancient herring run in Brewster, right down the street. This is Greg, of course. Where the herring are they're called alewives come in every year, <clears throat> thousands and thousands of them, uh, in, in, in gut instinct, to um, swim up against the tide, up the stone ladders, fight against the currents, to spawn in the ponds, in the mill ponds where they were born. And in so many ways, it uh, makes me think of the journey of Alzheimer's, where like a salmon or a herring, you're swimming upstream against the current, hitting your head on the banks and the stone ladders. Um, and um, maybe you get there, maybe you don't, but, but you keep trying. Christine took the recorder with her on her visit, but she hadn't listened to the tape yet. So recently I sat down with her in the studio to listen back to it and discuss the experience. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like he was giving you a guided tour. Like, he was giving—he's a writer. He was giving you a metaphor for his illness. As a writer, he has boundless metaphors for, for Alzheimer's, and I think I do think they help a lot. I could take you to the other side if you want to. Sure, cause, and, yeah. and, and you'll see the ponds. And you, you get there, and, you know, you, you hear the water, and, um, you know, while you're there— Greg? Hey— Hey, Taylor Dowdy. Hey, oh, Taylor. I used to be a VHB. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good, good. Greg. What are you up to? Meet somebody. Pretty somebody comes up to Greg oh, wow. and says hello. <laughs> right. Evelyn, now, where, are you, where are you now? I'm, I'm at BSC Group in oh, South right. Boston. Oh, okay. Yeah. How are you guys doing? Can you you enjoy? Hi? You enjoy? This is uh, Andrew and Evelyn. This is Christine from Runner's World. She's hi, how are you doing? Me, good, so. good. So you, so you ask him later, just, did, uh, you know, did you know that person? That when we were on the other side, um, looking at the water over there, and that that um, young man called your attention with the two kids, did you did you recognize him? No, I've known him a long, long time. I had no clue who he was. But people, um, that's a good example, Christine. Um, people now come up and introduce themselves. If I see someone outside the context of um, uh, where we are. Um, Let's say you decided to stay on Cape Cod an extra day and you came up to me tomorrow in some place I didn't expect. You'd have to introduce yourself. Greg has been so open and so public about having early onset Alzheimer's. And so in a way, it you know, the secret's out. And so it, it makes it a little easier. Like people know, you know, if, if you're going to see Greg, just say who you are. <laughs> you know, it's no big deal. He's not going to take offense. He's going to know why you're doing it. I think like his ability to interact like that is a good display of like this this uh, this coping strategy that 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 people use, uh, you know, to, to sort of get around in the world. With Yeah. And so. the conversation that he had. If you hadn't looped back and asked him, did you know that person, I, I wouldn't have known, maybe you wouldn't have known that he didn't recognize that person right off the bat because that conversation went so easily. Yeah, he, he presents exceptionally well. While Christine and Greg are down there, Greg runs into two friends who he does remember. Hey, 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 come here. Dana, come here. This guy's fighting cancer, prostate cancer in his bones. He's one of my close friends. Dana, this is no, this is Christine from Runner's World. She's doing a Hello, podcast. Christine. Nice to meet you. Th- th- nice this guy, you. Dana, uh, is uh, Dana Condit. Um, he's one of the keepers down here. Greg O'Brien, Elliot. Who? Yeah, who? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? This is a Greg has yeah, Alzheimer's yeah. joke. The runner, yeah. Is that why you're here, the runners? Yeah, that's <laughs> a mighty coincidence. Elliot's a writer. He's been a banker all his life until he retired. He more, more, with these friends, he almost it almost feels like when he's interacting with him, he like goes out of the out of his way to say, "I know I have Alzheimer's, but I remember you. You're special. Like you're my friend who has these things, you know." And of course, he's introducing you to these people, but. Just as people were signaling to him that they knew him and where they knew him, he's then signaling back to his friends, you're special to me, I know you, this is what you're going through, in each interaction. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's been on the Cape for a long time, and those are really dear friends, and, you know, lucky us that can have friends at that age and that close to you, so. We just had breakfast the other day, and 
we're talking about Alzheimer's and uh, you told me to keep fighting. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we all have a sense of humor and we kick each other's ass all the time. So, all right, give me a hug, Elliot. All right, take care, man. All right, okay, good to see you. All right. Thank you, it was really nice meeting you. They're in a familiar place with familiar people and sitting on a rock he sat on many times. Here, the conversation with Greg comes easy. Uh, this is Lower Mill Pond, and this is an ancient rock left over by the glacier thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. And um, it's, uh, it's a place that uh, I, when I was a young man, I'd come down here and I'd just sit and think, and then I'd bring the kids down here, just daddy and the kids, and we'd sit and talk, and it was one of our favorite secret places. So let's sit and talk. It, w- it was a couple years ago when you had to step running outside, and this is such a beautiful area. And, um, you know, that, that must have been rough because that's part of the joy of running is being able to be outside. Yeah, I, I, um, I do a lot of walking now. I, I can still, I, I told you, I have, um, what happens in Alzheimer's is the um, body breaks down, your immune system breaks down, and... Um, so I have all sorts of things. I don't have any feeling in parts of my feet and parts of my hands. And I have, uh, uh, according to the doctor's diagnosis, acute spinal stenosis and scoliosis. And so it, 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 um, it hurts. And, um, but running to me means so much. But I go into the gym now and I uh, get on the treadmill and crank it up to an elevation of 15 and... I do my uh, I do my miles that way. Doesn't hurt as much. Still hurts. And so, just take me back and kind of tell me the story of you, your life as a runner before your diagnosis. Yeah, I I, uh, I played a lot of uh, you know sports in in high school and college and baseball and football, and as part of sports early on, um, you had to run, stay in shape, and I enjoyed it. Then as you get older. You're not playing baseball and football anymore. Um, so I just started running. It, it made me feel good. Uh, it made me feel good in the brain and the soul and in my body. And uh, um, I just kept doing it. Before your diagnosis, when did you use running like as a just a way to stay fit? Yeah, uh, fit and sane. Because um, as a writer and, and whatever work people are in, you have to multitask. And you need to be fit in your body, you need to be fit by being healthy, and you need to be fit in your brain. And that's what's so uh, uh, decimating to me, if that's the right word, about this disease, because um, it's attacking my brain, and I find that very upsetting. And um, when you start to lose your greatest resource, it shakes you, shakes you right, right at the core. Now, what does running mean to you? Survival. Um, uh, survival, and in, in it's emblematic of my fight against Alzheimer's. So if I stop running, it's as if I've given in to the demons. And uh, I am going to uh, stay ahead of these demons until they catch me. They will at some point, but um, they're going to have to be in pretty damn good shape because I'm going to keep running. 
but all I know is is you have to get up every every day while you can at the level you can and we all can at different levels and kick ass if I could say that kick ass you can say that okay Christine didn't say this to Greg but she's active for the same reasons working out uh, it, no matter what I'm doing has always been an important part of my life but but I look at it in a much more holistic way now to the point where I'm like if I'm if I'm mountain biking and I'm going down a trail and there's a million rocks and, and I have to make a million split-second decisions um, that must be good for my brain right to me it, it just seems like the harder the workout is in a sense like the better it must be for my brain <laughs> Christine and Greg take the short walk back to Greg's house while Greg tends to some other business, Christine sits down in Greg's office, back with the framed New Yorker cover and packed full of books. While she's in his office, Christine talks to Greg's wife, Mary Catherine, about sharing their family's experiences with Alzheimer's publicly. Well, initially it wasn't good at all. I, I didn't want any—I knew he was doing this, and then I, um, I, I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want any of my school friends to know. I didn't want— Mary Catherine is a teacher. And um, once <laughs> this got out, uh, I think there was a TV show in Boston that initially really, I, I went to school thinking nobody heard that, nobody saw that last night, and everybody saw it. And it was a good lesson for me because I thought, well, what a relief, what a relief. And everybody knows, everybody's supportive. Um, the stigma isn't there anymore. I kind of know where I'm coming from with my particular avoidance and, you know, where where were you coming from initially where you didn't want people to know? Oh, I, it's that old thing. It's embarrassing. And um, it was embarrassing to see how he would behave sometimes. I didn't want people. But now that people know, it's it's so much more comforting because they can, they there's there's a reason behind it. If I thought that his anger and his rage was his real personality, that would be very, very upsetting and disturbing. But now that I know that it isn't, that's part of the disease, um, you know, you can, you know, approach it differently. You're nodding at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just this weird sort of dual world of, of feeling... Not not ashamed, not not ashamed, but you just you know the world knows this person as as somebody, and then when they're not that person, quite the same. Um, you you just wanna you wanna jump in front of them and like protect them from everything and just be like, this is not their fault. Like whatever they're doing, it's not their fault. Um, and I can see how. Um, it would be so, so much of a relief. Because I actually don't know, um, several of my dad's siblings live nearby and their kids all live nearby. And I, I, I know that they know that things aren't right with my mom. When they talked, Christine told Mary Catherine about her own response to the disease. In my head, the, the avoidance comes from the fear, you know, and you're just like, okay, well, I'm just not going to think about that because I cannot, I do not know how to process it. Right. And um, and so I, I think it's kind of ironic that something like just as something as simple as running has sort of made 
forced me into this intersection with Greg and his story and um, and I feel very I, I'm just I'm very grateful that I'm here and able to like learn from him and learn from you and the encouraging thing for you and I feel like for my kids too and I see I don't have your same fears because I'm pretty sure I probably won't get it I don't have any of it anywhere in my family um, but for my kids I just I just feel like there's so much going on, so much research, so many, I, I really honestly feel they're gonna have an answer in the next, you know, five, 10 years, maybe I'm dreaming, but I really feel very good about that. Um, there's a lot of smart people out there who are doing a lot of good things, so. So being a young person, even with that history, I just, I feel like you, you have a lot of hope. I really do. Well, that is, that makes me feel good. <laughs> um, yeah. What's remarkable about this is that Mary Catherine is hopeful. And just at the time as she's losing so much. First and foremost, she's losing her husband, slowly. But the illness is also pushing their family towards bankruptcy. They're actually in the process of selling the house that they built. The same house that they raised all their children in. To top it all off, Greg also has prostate cancer which just might kill him before the Alzheimer's does. And with all that, she looks at Christine and she sees hope. Holding on to that hope, however, that's a bigger challenge. Christine first got interested in Greg's story because he's a runner. He's always been a runner. But when Greg was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, his doctor told him to ramp it up. Today, Greg uses running to combat the sundowning effects that many Alzheimer's patients experience. It's a period of time where they kind of get increased like agitation and frustration, um, maybe more depressed, you know, um, and it sort of seems to be triggered by the change of the changing of the of light, you know, as, as, as the day turns to dusk. This is a time, usually in the afternoon, when clarity slips away. Running, however, can give Greg more time in the afternoon and evening with a clearer mind. He tells me that it's important for him. And the fact that he tells me it's important for him, I, it obviously is. And he will always say, it, it clears my head, it clears my head. This is more than just a runner loving running. There's science behind the feeling of mental clarity that Greg gets. Studies show that exercise can slow down the progression of Alzheimer's and even improve brain function in mild and moderate cases. Furthermore, exercise's delaying effects starts working in people who will get Alzheimer's in the future, long before they show any outward signs of actually having the disease. So for Greg, being a longtime runner may have delayed the onset of an already early arriving diagnosis. And in the day-to-day, -day, his exercise helps him keep more alert, just at the moment when sundowning effects occur. Do you mind if we walk a little bit? Just no, better for my back. No, no, okay. No. So while Christina's um, there, they go mom, out for a short run together. I think we talked about this. She was fighting it and fighting Alzheimer's, and, and, and she knew I had the symptoms, and we talked about it. And, uh, um, and, and she kept saying, because she, she was ironically in her Alzheimer's, the caregiver for my father, who uh, was in a wheelchair, 
he had um, circulation, severe circulation disease. He had prostate cancer. And he was in the early throes of dementia. So, but his brain was less affected at that point than my mom's. So they kind of morphed into one where um, he became my mom's intellect and she became his arms and legs. But she kept saying, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And finally, it was a rush to the hospital several years ago and I was down there in the emergency room, Cape Cod Hospital. And, and then she said, uh, Greg, would you take over? As clear as that. Um, and I said, sure, Mom, I'm getting the doctor. And she said, and she grabbed me by the hand and held my uh, elbow uh, very tightly. And she said, no, Greg, would you take over? I'm the oldest boy in an Irish family. And I realized she was saying goodbye. And I turned around, and it was like looking at someone who had been holding on to a dock and an outgoing tide who just let go. And she drifted. Within four minutes, she curled up in my father's bed like a kitten. And my dad was unconscious in his wheelchair. And she made that decision at that point, she let go. Eight months later, she was dead. It's like, you know, Greg decided to take over and has not stopped since. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, to the extent that he can, he's still trying to be in charge. It sounds like it's a moment he thinks about a lot, not just because it was, you know, the moment that you lose your mother as your mother, but also looking for that own moment in his own life. And he's, you know, he's put a lot of thought into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, he knows, he knows it's coming. You've, you've lost the ability to do certain things, but you can still run, you can still work out. Like, what would it be like for you to, to, to have someone say, you know, Greg, your spine is too bad, you shouldn't exercise. What, how would you feel about that? I know how I will feel. That's what I'm going to let go. I don't want to. I don't want to be in a world where I can't write, and I can't run. Um, and um, if it comes to that, um, I'm letting go. To be clear, Greg is not there yet. They may be selling their house to deal with medical bills, but Greg made that choice now because he could still make it. He could still adapt. They plan to move his old office into the new space just down the street. And they're hoping that in moving it, the office won't lose much of its character. It's my office is, is in, in arranged in ways to remind me of things that I've written and pictures of the family. So it's uh, really my working memory. So at times when I'm not quite sure I have the full grasp of who I am. I come out here, and uh, in a snapshot, it brings me to the place of knowing my past. They want to keep his records, his files, his computer, his phone, his brain, the systems he relies on every day to operate as well as he does. They want to keep all this intact. Greg's approach to the disease is to share its effects. Let's talk about it, man. 
Let's get it on the table, like anything else, get it on the table. And make it popular to the point that we can talk. Because in talking about it, you're allowing other people to feel empowered to talk about it. Hey, if, if it took me as well as others to strip ourselves naked, which is a very difficult thing to do, to um, get some dialogue going, then, then it was worth the journey. It was worth the journey. So since their meeting, that dialogue has continued with Christine. Because of Greg's story, she's starting to share hers. And she's also slowly, slowly reframing her own approach to her family and to the disease. I know that talking to him and talking to Mary Catherine has has helped in a lot of ways because I'm a little less apt to be, to just turn my head and be like, it's not there. If I don't look, it's not there. <laughs> I feel like it's a step, you know, and, and this whole thing with Greg, I think, has helped me make that step and make those decisions to be like, okay, I'm going to go to that. I'm going to go to that appointment. I'm going to go to the next appointment. I'm, and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to try to be there for my mother and try to be strong for my mother. But even so... There are limits to how far Christine will go to look the disease straight on. You can take a genetic test and, and see if you carry the gene, and there's no way I would do that. Really? No. Why? I just... I don't know. I, I guess... Well, genetics aren't destiny. Right. And, and, I, and I think that short of, like, taking some drug, you, you know... I'm not sure what else I could do. You know, I, I so I just recently started uh, piano lessons and because I firmly believe, like I used to play as a kid and I feel like it's such a good thing for my brain <laughs> and, um, and I'm very active and I eat pretty well and um, I just try to do all of the things, right? They're just gonna tell me to do all the things yeah. that I already do. So um, I was on a run. It was after I had gone up and seen Greg, and I was—I think I was coming back from my 10th Street run. So it was very, very, very hilly and um, and hard. Hilly and hard is an understatement, by the way. Other runners who know the street have called this route "quote crazy and insane." And I was thinking about this story, and. And I thought, it's really weird <laughs> that it's really running that has made me face this this huge thing in my life, you know. Um, because if if I hadn't if if Greg hadn't been talking about running that day, I probably would have either like tuned him out, la 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 la, I don't hear what you're saying, um, or forgotten all about him. Um, but because he was talking about running, yes, it is my job, but it's just a weird sort of connection. Like it's something that I do, and um, I hadn't really thought about it as as sort of like this potent weapon, this thing that he he sort of uses. To outrun his demons, he knows he's not going to win. <laughs> he's certainly not going to outrun them, but he's giving them a hell of a chase. And and I just realized, like, for me, uh, 
running sort of made me do an about face in in the sense that I I've been so like e- even with it being so present every time I go home it sort of made me look at it in a different way and and not not be so afraid That was our show today. The episode was produced by Christine Fennessy and me, Rachel Swaby, with help from Mervyn Deganos. The show was edited by Audrey Quinn. Our theme music is by Danny Cock. David Willey is the editor-in-chief of Runner's World and the editor-in-chief of this podcast. Greg O'Brien's book is called On Pluto. We have a link to it and the essay he wrote for Runner's World in our show notes. We'd also love it if you could let us know what you think about the show. You can reach us on Twitter at RWAudio, or you can rate us on iTunes, which would be great because it helps other people find the show. See you next week.